Dean Mayer on LBC. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five, it's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, I know it's a wrench to tear you all away from the Wagatha Christie trial, but I've got some serious news to impart. We saw this week the first images of the enormous black hole that lies at the heart of our galaxy, with the power to suck everything in, destroy planets and potentially civilizations and societies. Happily for us, researchers say it's 26,000 light years away and mostly dormant unlike another far more destructive force much closer to home. Banning Trump from Twitter didn't end Trump's voice. It will amplify it among the right. And this is why it is morally wrong and flat-out stupid. The reverberating thoughts of Elon Musk, the billionaire who, at least until dawn this morning, was pursuing a bid to buy Twitter. Early today, we learnt that he's putting his acquisition of the politically powerful social media platform on temporary hold, saying he wants proof from the company that it's telling the truth when it claims only 5% of its accounts are fake or computer-generated bots. It is, of course, ironic that a battle over truth and transparency may be the thing that dooms the narcissistic efforts of Mr. Musk to buy the platform and to return to it the biggest spreader of misinformation and conspiracy theories in town. Are you planning to let Donald Trump back on? I, I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake. Um, because it, uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. He is now going to be on Truth Social, um, as will uh, a large part of the sort of the, the right in the, in the United States. Um, and so I think this could end up being, frankly, worse than having a, sing you know, a single forum where everyone can debate. Truth Social, by the way, is Donald Trump's own social media platform, a project so botched that just a month ago it was widely reported to be on the brink of implosion. Washington was jolted by the idea that the former president and all his acolytes who were also banned from Twitter for encouraging last year's violent insurrection on Capitol Hill and for generally spreading madcap conspiracy theories might soon be back on the platform. Mr. Musk's takeover of Twitter could still be complete in just a few weeks, paving the way for Donald Trump to be back behind his social media megaphone well ahead of this November's crucial midterm elections. With Joe Biden's fellow Democrats struggling in the November campaign, what did the White House think of the former president's imminent return from the naughty step? Well, I, I would say uh, it's the decision by a private sector company to make on who will or will not be allowed on their platforms. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. What I will say, broadly speaking, is that uh, our effort is to, of course, make sure that freedom of speech is protected across the country, but that also these platforms are not used for format forums for disinformation. And we have seen a history of that. And she said if Twitter and the other social media behemoths cannot police themselves, then the government may have to regulate them. There are, of course, 
course, absolutely no meaningful efforts underway to do that. Nothing in place, in other words, to prevent Donald Trump from again using Twitter to further his entirely false attacks on American democracy. This was another American week in which there were fresh questions about the ability of that democracy to deliver on behalf of the American people. And the unlikely source of the latest doubts here relates to the availability of baby formula. Here's the baby formula section here at a Target in Arizona. This is uh, Biden's America, where they're sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine while our babies are running out of food. Right-wing podcast host Drew Hernandez there wielding his cell phone camera and showing images that were ubiquitous across the country this week. Empty shelves in many parts of the country rationing enforced for the few cans of baby formula still available. Agonized American parents say the industry has been warning of the impending crisis since February. That's when the largest manufacturer of formula here recalled three of its products amid contamination fears. But it was only this week that the shortages really began to bite, and only this week that the White House was held to account for the problem. Incoming White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre speaking on Air Force One on Wednesday. So ensuring that infant form formula is safe and available for families across the country is a top priority to the White House and, and this administration. We know that Abbott's uh, voluntary recall of infant formula products has led to uh, some Americans being unable to access infant formula and other critical medical food supply. Uh, this is an urgent issue that the FDA, as you all know, and the White House is working 24 to address. So reporters wondered who exactly at the White House is working around the clock to address the problem. Who specifically is in charge of responding to the shortages? I, I, at the White House, I don't, I, I don't know. I can find out for you and get you a person who's running point, um, but I, I don't have a good person in it. That, of course, only fueled the suspicion that the White House was not, in fact, totally across the brief. Yesterday, President Biden took the helm himself. On a day when he was supposed to be focused on an historic gathering of Southeast Asian leaders in Washington, he spent hours personally burning up the phone lines to baby formula manufacturers, the country's major retail executives and alternative suppliers in a scramble to fix the problem. There is, however, no easy fix. There will be shortages for weeks and mounting questions for White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki about why the administration never warned the country that the problem was coming. I'm sure there will be plenty of time to take a look at if there are any issues that could have been improved here. I don't have any specific analysis of that at this moment in time. What I will note is that there has been work ongoing on this for months. That's how we increase the uh, the supply uh, and how we're able to, uh, you know, increase the sales based on the month of April overall. Um, but there's more that needs to be done. Clearly, we don't want any parent to fear about not being able to provide formula to their child. And as I noted at the top, the president is, uh, you know, leaving no stone unturned in addressing this. No stone unturned, even as parents desperately exchange ancient homemade recipes for baby formula online in a bid to keep their infants fed. Unfortunately for President Biden, the formula shortages undercut his efforts to assure Americans that he really gets what they're going through, particularly on inflation. I understand what it feels like. I come from a family where 
On Tuesday, the president went to great lengths to convey empathy amid polling that shows 80% of the country doesn't believe he's doing enough to battle inflation still at a 40-year high and thinks that the country is on the wrong track. Look, I know you got to be frustrated. I know. I can taste it. Frustrated by high prices, by gridlock in Congress, by the time it takes to get anything done. Believe me, I understand the frustration. But does he? It was only a couple of weeks ago that his top White House officials were insisting inflation isn't really much of a threat to the country. They said it's only affecting people who drive a lot and have to buy petrol. Voters, they groused, don't understand the complexities and nuances of economic theory. Well, perhaps they don't, but they can understand a president telling them that while he's empathetic about their suffering, there isn't really much of an alternative. The bottom line is this. Americans have a choice right now between two paths reflecting two very different sets of values. My plan attacks inflation and grows the economy. The other path is the ultra MAGA plan put forward by congressional Republicans to raise taxes on working families, lower the income of American workers, threaten sacred programs Americans count on like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and give break after break to big corporations and billionaires. The White House says the president coined the phrase ultra-maga himself, which may explain why he's better suited to Pennsylvania Avenue than Madison Avenue, home of the advertising industry. It's a reference to Donald Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. And the president now plans to brand Republicans with an ultra-maga brush, tying them to the man he referred to this week as the MAGA King. That would be, of course, Donald Trump, who probably doesn't mind the accolade. Among the president's targets, Senator Rick Scott of Florida, whose economic plan the president attacked and who also relished the attention. Joe Biden gave a talk this morning, blamed everybody else on inflation. He took no responsibility and has no plan. I think what all Floridians know is this president has no ability to deal with inflation. In the private sector, when you have a CEO that doesn't have the ability to deal with something, they resign. They go on and do something else. Joe Biden ought to do the exact same thing, and that's the only way we're ever going to get inflation under control in this country. By the end of the week, memes were proliferating on social media, approvingly crowning Donald Trump the MAGA king, with Republicans all over the country eagerly embracing the ultra-MAGA moniker. So far, the president's main achievement has been to breathe new life into his predecessor's presidential aspirations. There is no indication that he's done anything to turn his own approval rating around, they are now down to a record low of 38%. The Democrats also did nothing to help themselves this week on the other polarizing issue of our times, abortion. On this vote, the yeas are 49, the nays are 51. Three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn not having voted in the affirmative the motion is not agreed to. A rather downcast Vice President Kamala Harris announcing that the Democrats had failed in their quest to get the U.S. Senate to enshrine abortion rights protections into federal law. Sadly, the Senate failed to stand in defense of a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. And let's be clear, the majority of the American people believe in defending a woman's right, her choice, to decide what happens to her own body. 
And this vote clearly suggests that the Senate is not where the majority of Americans are on this issue. Now, as we said last week, the vote was always going to be futile. Democrats believe that with the Supreme Court preparing to overturn Roe v. Wade, that 1973 decision that has kept abortion legal across the country for 50 years, they have galvanized voters by demonstrating that the Republicans are the enemies of a woman's right to choose. But there are two problems with that strategy. First, it's not exactly a revelation that most Republicans favour very tough limits on abortion. And the second came in the form of a Democrat. The bill we have today to vote on, the Women's Health Protection Act, and I respect people who support, but don't make no mistake, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. And with that... That's not where we are today. We should not be dividing this country further than we're already divided. Senator Joe Manchin of conservative-leaning West Virginia, he joined the Republicans in blocking the bill, showing that the Democrats themselves are not all behind the White House strategy. It has, quite frankly, been a downer of a week for the White House, and most depressing of all was a moment announced by the president himself. Today, we mark a tragic milestone here in the United States. One million COVID deaths, one million empty chairs around the family dinner table, each irreplaceable, irreplaceable losses. We almost do more, must honor those we have lost by doing everything we can to prevent as many deaths as possible. The president in a pre-recorded message there, again urging people to avail themselves of the vaccines that millions of Americans don't want. One top public health official this week estimated that as many as 300,000 deaths could have been avoided if vaccine skepticism had not triumphed or been tolerated in America. The flags at the White House and at federal government buildings have been lowered in memory of one million dead, but there are no plans, said White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, for a memorial or an annual day to mark the country's losses. We're still in a fight against COVID and a battle against COVID. Um, There are still far too many people getting sick, getting hospitalized and dying. And this is not the last time we will commemorate or the last step that the president will take to commemorate, but I don't have anything to predict about the future. Today, she hosts her last White House briefing. She's off. A cable news career seems to lie in her future. Talk about a black hole. They will miss her in the Biden administration, but if you look at all the issues she has been forced to grapple with only this week, you can understand why she's heading for the exits. One million COVID dead, a baby formula shortage, imminent civil upheaval over abortion, public fury over inflation, the possible return of Donald Trump to Twitter, even this week the news that 108,000 Americans died last year of drug overdoses, a new tragic record. It's not much of a record to boost the hopes of Democrats ahead of this November's congressional elections. But at the moment, Eddie, Joe Biden is stuck with it. Simon Marks's American Week back next Friday at a quarter to five. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.